Many people are using the FaithFi app to help provide the wisdom, community, and money management to stay on track, financially speaking. To date, over 37,000 members are using its digital envelope system, participating in our community forums, and engaging in virtual workshops. And one of the most convenient features is the ability to keep all your accounts in one place for an easy at-a-glance view. You can choose from one of three options depending on your management style, and it's available on desktop or mobile. Go to faithfy.com and click App to get started. Statistics show that young adults in the U.S. are sadly lacking in basic money skills. What happens when their turn comes to run things? It's a sobering question. Hi, I'm Rob West. Evidently, parents and schools aren't doing their job when it comes to raising kids with financial savvy. Today, we'll do some remedial work on essential money management skills. Then we'll take your calls at 800-525-7000. That's 800-525-7000. This is Faith and Finance, biblical wisdom for your financial journey. Year after year, the annual survey taken for the TIAA Institute shows low financial literacy for the 18 to 25 age group. A majority of these young adults consistently fail to demonstrate a working familiarity with financial concepts like budgeting, saving, insurance, and investing. Think about what this means. Tens of thousands of young adults are going off to college or joining the workforce today without knowing how to manage their money or how to avoid overspending or even how to build a solid financial future for themselves. When I was a kid, learning to balance a checkbook and pay bills on time were part of financial training for kids and teenagers. But today, things look a lot different. Now we have online banking and instant digital transactions. It's so easy to use credit and transfer money that many young people just live day to day without a plan until they need a bailout from mom or dad. Uh, The fact that young adults rarely handle cash also means they no longer have a physical connection to their money. When you don't actually see and feel your money coming and going, you might not realize when it's gone. This disconnect can lead to unintentional overspending and a lifetime of debt, not to mention a lack of motivation to save for the future. So if you're a parent of teenagers or a Gen Z just starting out, here are a few must-have financial skills and how to get them. The first skill is actually an attitude. The Bible says God is the owner of everything, as in Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Understand that nothing really belongs to you, even you. You are a manager of God's resources, which should change your perspective on money and material things. The number two financial skill you'll need is planning. A dream without a plan is just a wish, as they say, and wishes won't buy you a house. The fundamental planning tool we recommend is a budget, otherwise known as a spending plan. A budget keeps track of your income, giving, and spending, and gives you a picture of your progress towards meeting your financial goals. Download the free FaithFi app to get one started. 
The next fundamental financial skill everyone needs is work. Maybe your dad always told you that money doesn't grow on trees. Annoying as that was, it's the truth. Employment is where your money comes from, not the oak tree in the yard. So start at the bottom if you have to, work hard and develop your resume. Earning can really build your financial confidence. If you do have a job, make sure you keep it in perspective. Remember, your identity comes from Jesus, not from what you do for a living. In Colossians 3, 23 and 24, we see the key to successful work. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. The next skill is to open and manage a bank account. Then make sure you develop habits of giving and saving from every paycheck. Watching your balance increase will encourage you to stick to your plan. Keeping track of your bank balance will also help you understand your limits. You can't spend what isn't there. The next skill will also help you understand your limits. Learn about credit. Don't fall into the trap of believing that a credit card equals permission to spend all you want. Instead, keep track of your balances, pay your balances in full every month, and watch your credit score. Another basic financial skill you'll need is to understand about investing, including types of investments, risk, and return. Check out the great information at soundmindinvesting.org. Finally, admit you don't know it all and learn where to go for solid financial advice. As it says in Proverbs 15, 22, without counsel plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Visit faithfi.com and click on the community tab to chat online about your money questions or ask someone you trust who knows about finances to help you. Now more than ever, young adults need financial skills to succeed in the real world. And we hope today's information has been helpful. All right, your calls are next, 800-525-7000, 800-525-7000. This is Faith and Finance, and we'll be right back. Have you downloaded the Faith by app yet? You need to do that today, because this is going to make your life easier. Yes, you can manage your money through the in-app envelope feature, but also plan out future goals. I want to buy a house in five years, and I'm on track to do that. Here's also what I like. You can connect with people around the country. It's like social media, but better. Ask a question, get an answer, and share what you're learning about money and investing. So why don't you grab your phone right now and download the FaithFi app. We are grateful for support from One Ascent Investments on the Faith and Finance program. They manage a comprehensive suite of value-based investment strategies designed to help Christian investors live aligned with what they value most. One Ascent believes that if your values inspire the way you live, they should also inspire the way you invest. This can be a unique form of worship. More information is available at investments.oneascent.com. That web address is investments.oneascent.com. You're listening to Faith and Finance, where we talk about how we handle God's resources. How are you using God's resources? We're talking about it, and the lines are open to take your calls and questions. 800-525-7000. Hey, uh, Ann called just a moment ago. She was not able to hold, but she was wondering two things. Number one, is an annuity a good option for retirement savings? Uh, they're not my preferred option, Ann, unless you have no tolerance for risk at all. Uh, you're better off uh, saving 
in a retirement plan, so a tax-advantaged retirement plan at work. If you have one, like a 401k, uh, you could certainly use an IRA. There are other tax-advantaged options if you're self-employed, but that would be my preferred option. You get 100% of the upside on the growth. Um, yes, you have the risk of the downside, but the you know, if you have a long time horizon, a properly diversified stock and bond portfolio without the complexity and cost of an annuity and the cap on the returns is going to allow you to experience the very best opportunity for uh, growth in your capital. Um, with regard to your second question, which was how much do I need for retirement? You know, a general rule of thumb, and that's all it is, it doesn't replace really thoughtful retirement planning with an advisor. But a good rule of thumb is a starting point is 10 to 12 times your income. Now, why is that? Well, let's just run the math really quick. Let's say you make $60,000 a year. Um, 12 times your income would be 720000 Now, you might stop right there and say, Rob, there's no way. Well, that's fine. We just need to right-size our living expenses to match our income. But let's play this out. So you're making 60000 a year. You need 12 times your income saved. That's 720000 Well, that's going to throw off at 4% a year, which should be able to be pulled out without you impacting the principal. So you won't ever drain that to zero. It'll stay at 720 give or take, over the years. And you can pull out, in this case, 29000 a year. Now, 29000 is not sixty. How do you get there? Well, normally you would live on, typically, you would live on 80% of your pre-retirement income, just on average. So on 60000 a year, that's 48000 a year that you're living on. We're still not there yet because we're only pulling 30000 roughly from the uh, investments that we built up in the retirement plan. Uh, well, the balance is made up by Social Security. So typically, you would expect up to 40% of your pre-retirement income to be covered by Social Security. So the combination of that income stream from the savings of 720000 12 times your income, uh, plus Social Security, living on 80% of your pre-retirement income should give you what you need. Now, Again, you may need to right-size those expectations. You may not be able to live off of just the income. Maybe you are slowly pulling the principal down. Uh, maybe you have other income sources like a pension. I mean, all of that needs to be factored in, but that's at least some rough rules of thumb to think about as you plan and prepare. At the end of the day, you've got to decide what is our lifestyle going to look like and how do we match that with the various income sources that we have. All right, let's head back to the phones to Florida. We go. Hi, Melissa. Go right ahead. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for calling. Um, my question is, I've just uh, finished with, um, sadly, with a divorce, and I was left um, leaving our business that we had together to him and taking other assets like property, the home, the marital home, and there's still a mortgage on it, and it's still significant. So I'm trying to decide if I should sell the house and take the equity plus some of the cash settlement I received and buy a smaller place because I don't need four bedrooms and two and a half bathrooms for one yes. person um, and 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 get something small that's paid for and I don't have a mortgage anymore. I'm 55 years old and I don't have a lot in retirement. I have a small IRA and some investments, but not a lot. Okay. Yeah. 
Well, uh, first of all, I'm so sorry to hear about uh, what's going on there, but I think you're right in thinking through this. I mean, typically we would say when you experience a major life change, go slow. It's best not to make any big decisions for a year or so when that happens, although I realize there's just the reality of balancing the budget, and you may know quicker than that kind of where you want to go, what you might want to buy, and what location, how much you need, you know, and, and all of that. I would concur. You probably want to take this opportunity to pull the money out of this home. Uh, you know, we're still at very high in terms of the housing market, even though the, the market has softened and it's now more favorable for buyers because of the higher interest rates uh, and the looming recession. We really haven't lost, lost much in the way of home values. They really haven't come down. They've just stopped uh, growing as quickly. So you could get essentially top dollar out, and then you could either rent for a while and just pray and think through kind of what this next season looks like and where you want to go, or you could turn around and buy something. But I like the idea of you downsizing something that's more manageable, perhaps being debt-free, and then take any of the remaining proceeds and shore up your emergency fund and get it invested for the future. So, you know, that seems to make some sense to me, but what other considerations are playing into this as you think about this decision? Well, I, I thought maybe, I, you know, should I just take in a roommate and is it better? Is Are prices now topped out and it's not going to go any higher? So, I, you know, I, and taking in a roommate, uh, I don't know. Yeah. It's just well, a lot to think about. Sure. I mean, I think one of the rules of thumb, with especially with housing, is not to try to time the market. I mean, the bottom line is this is a great time to sell if you're going to sell because, again, housing prices are still very high. I think they will soften somewhat as we head into this recession. Rates are still high. But real estate is going to be a great long-term investment just like stocks and bonds. We go through these periods depending on what's going on economically where, you know, it's either a buyer or a seller's market and, you know, over the last decade, we've seen a huge run. I mean, just check Zillow.com. You can see what your house has done, you know, in terms of appreciation. So that's a good thing, but you're also going to still pay top dollar. And, you know, if you're getting a mortgage, you're going to have, you know, high mortgage interest rates. Hopefully you're not. You're able to buy it with cash. That'd be great. And then that's just going to keep your lifestyle expenses low. Um, so I think bottom line is you need to decide what is the right move for me. Do I want to stay here and take in a roommate? Would I prefer to move? And if you would, I'd go ahead and do it, uh, even though I agree this is a good time to do it. Even if it wasn't, I would say don't try to time the market or the housing market, you know, hoping you can do better or worse six or nine months from now. I would say you make the right decision for you after a lot of prayer and consideration and then go for it. Thank you. Thank okay. you. All right. Hey, uh, we'll be praying for you, Melissa. We appreciate your call today. Thanks for being on the program. Uh, to Wes in Fort Lauderdale, my hometown. Uh, how are you, sir? Go right ahead. Hey, Rob. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, I was calling about my mother-in-law because she, she has a house that, um, that's been put into an irrevocable trust. And they okay. did that or they set that up because for her to receive veteran uh, benefits from her husband who passed away. Okay. Because this helps defray some of the costs of her assisted uh, living facility. Okay. Well, now we're trying to figure out what to do with this home because it just sits vacant. And um, the accountant that handles the trust uh, return says that it cannot be rented or she would lose veteran benefits. Yeah. So her 
children are trying to, they're considering selling it, and one of the kids is interested in buying it. We're, we're not sure about how to go about doing that or what kind of professional would be best to contact regarding giving advice on that. Yeah. I would talk to a, it's going to really be a combination of your, of an estate attorney plus your CPA because there's tax implications, but there are also legal implications with regard to the irrevocable trust. And then I think beyond that, it's really just the financial plan. So having a good financial advisor at the center of this and then orchestrating those other professionals, I think is really key to you all working through this. Stay on the line. We'll talk a little bit more off the air. We'll be right back. Are you struggling to fit your faith into your practice as a Christian financial advisor? The Certified Kingdom Advisor designation teaches you a step-by-step process to confidently deliver advice that aligns with Christian values. Discover the skills you need to help your clients make a kingdom impact. Get started today by enrolling in the CKA educational program at kingdomadvisors.com slash get certified. That's kingdomadvisors.com slash get certified. We are grateful for support from Sound Mind Investing in the Faith and Finance Program. If you have money in a retirement account or just a general investing account, you know the stock market can sometimes seem like a roller coaster. But it is possible to enjoy both profit and peace of mind in investing, no matter what's happening in the market. You can see a short video webinar on that topic at soundmindinvesting.org. Since 1990, Sound Mind Investing has sought to offer financial wisdom for living well. Soundmindinvesting.org. We're back. I'm Rob West, and this is Faith and Finance. Thanks for listening today. Thanks for taking the time. As we head into our calls and questions, I want to take a moment to ask you if you've downloaded the FaithFi app. You can use it on your desktop or your mobile device. All right, let's head to the phones. By the way, if you have a question, just call 800-525-7000. That's 800-525-7000. To Chicago we go. Hi, Lisa. Go right ahead. Hi, thank you so much for taking my call. Um, my question is, we have less than 10 years uh, left to pay our mortgage off, and we were thinking of purchasing a vacation home. Would it be smart to borrow against our home for that? I keep hearing that that's what you should be doing, but I just wasn't sure. Yeah. Well, the reason that you're hearing that is because that's going to be the least expensive way to do it from an interest rate standpoint. If you were to go out and get a mortgage on a second home, it's going to be a higher rate than you would get if it's a mortgage on your first home. And because you all have good equity in that house, folks are just telling you, well, you might as well take advantage of it and the cost of funds is lower. And so it's a win-win. The challenge is if something came out of left field and you were unable to make that mortgage payment, there was an interruption in income, you had a major financial calamity. Now, all of a sudden, because uh, you've attached that mortgage to your primary residence, you're putting your primary residence at risk as opposed to being collateralized only by the rental property or, or vacation home, as, as you might say. Um, if you were to lose that, you would still have your primary residence intact. So that would be the reason that you wouldn't want to put it on your primary residence because you want to keep these loans separate. You want to be able to get to a place where your current property that you live in, your primary residence, is owned free and clear, completely paid off. And this approach would be taking you backwards, adding more debt to that property. So I think at the end of the day, there's the financial side, which is the lowest 
cost, um, you know, source of funds um, in terms of the interest rate and the terms. And then there's the non-financial side as well, which is the peace of mind of knowing that you own your home, your domicile free and clear. Um, talk to me just about your priorities there as you hear me describe that. No, that sounds about right. I, my concern is um, having more time to, to pay on my mortgage. Like, I, I want to be done with my first mortgage soon. Yes. Yeah. And this would be obviously the opposite direction. So I think what you might want to look at instead then, Lisa, is just you all stay laser focused on getting that primary residence paid off once and for all as you're able. And then as long as you've got some surplus funds for a healthy down payment, at least 20%, I'd love for you on a second property to put even more than 20% down. As long as you've got that working capital available, then just go ahead and get a loan on that second property that's collateralized by that property. Uh, obviously, that timing may not work out for you, but that's at least something to consider. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. does make sense. Okay. Hope that helps you, Lisa. Thanks for your call today. We appreciate it. To uh, New Mexico. Hi, Linda. Go ahead. Hi. Thank you so much for hearing us. Um, so I have a situation where I have, my name is encumbered to a $55,000 parent plus, it's actually two loans rolled into one for my adult daughter from her undergrad. Um, she, over the course of the past many years, has been taking about half of her um, tax refund money and putting it towards those loans annually instead of making monthly payments. She carries other debt as well. Okay. Um, she is married, has two children, recently became pregnant with her third, and her husband left her. And so she's now in the middle of a really awful situation in her life and yeah. pending divorce. I myself um, went through a divorce about a year and a half ago, and I retained the marital property. Um, it is in my name. It was deeded to me. The mortgage, which I m believed to be in both my and my ex-husband's name, turns out was just in his name. My name was not on it, although I did sign all the papers. Um, and so now, per the court order, I'm responsible for um, seeking an assumption from him to get the mortgage put into my name. I applied through my current mortgage company last year and I was denied. Um, they eventually told me that it was based on excessive debt and insufficient income. They would not even give me the paper or tell me what that debt was, but I'm assuming since I don't have any revolving credit card debt or a car loan or anything like that, that it has to be this parent plus loan. Sure. And so my question is, I've looked, I've talked to lots of different government agencies and, you know, while we can defer it again, we can, you know, work out a different payment plan for you. The payment itself is not really too much for me to handle. It's just the fact that I'm encumbered by this huge amount of debt. Yeah. And as far as I can tell, I'm not finding that there are any sort of programs like they do offer with a regular student loans for loan forgiveness if you work so many years in, you know, these specific areas of work and things like that for Parent PLUS loans. It just seems like there is no way to get these loans forgiven even partially. Well, uh, the bottom line is you are right in the sense that you're legally responsible. And so the parent borrower 
is ultimately responsible for paying the Parent PLUS loan, uh, and it can't be transferred out of your name. And therefore, because you have that legal responsibility, it is absolutely included in your debt-to-income ratios because you owe the debt, and that's probably, in fact, what's creating the problems for you. Now, to the second part of your question, though, the Parent PLUS loans absolutely um, are able to be forgiven in similar ways to, uh, you know, non-parent plus loans, as long as they're a part of the direct loan program or they were a part of a uh, federal loan consolidation. Um, President Biden's new student loan forgiveness, regardless of what you think about whether or not he should or shouldn't have done that, and I would be in the camp of not. (laughs) Um, The parent plus loans are eligible for that. They're eligible for the uh, income-based repayment options. They're also um, available. uh, The public service loan forgiveness is um, potentially Potentially able to um, be for if it's a parent plus loan, you're able to get that forgiven. So uh, there are plenty of options, but they do require you to comply with the various rules and regs, whether that's working in the public, you know, sector for. 10 years with 120 on-time payments or, you know, being under the income cap when it comes to the Biden forgiveness. And obviously that's still in question as to whether or not that's going to be uh, actually go into effect. But there are going to be options there. I think the key is most people just don't qualify for those options because they're very hard to get. And so if that's the case, you're just going to have to either you or she will ultimately have to get this paid off for it to be not factored into the debt that's out and available against you when you're uh, taking on new loans. Does that make sense? Right. Yes, it does. Thank you so much. Okay. You're welcome, Linda. It sounds like you guys have been going through it. We'll just ask the Lord to intervene here and uh, bring wisdom and provision and uh, just His grace in the midst of these challenging situations. We appreciate you being on the program today. May the Lord bless you. Well, that does it for us today. I'm Rob West. Thanks to our amazing production team and to you for listening. I hope you'll join us again next time right here on Faith and Finance. Faith and Finance is provided by FaithFi and listeners like you.